Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We'll turn our attention right now to the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's found in the three synoptic Gospels. We'll be looking at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. But we will also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, where Paul explains how he received the information concerning the Lord's Supper. Yeah, Matthew's account, Matthew 26 says, Now now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after, bless, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. And Paul tells us about what he had received in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, none of the gospel writers give us the exact time of the institution of the Lord's Supper except to place it during the Passover meal. Matthew uses the phrase, and as they were eating, Mark says, and as they did eat, Luke was likewise also the cup after supper, and Paul wrote, after the same manner he also took the cup when he had supped. When we put it all together, it's apparent that the institution of the Lord's Supper took place probably toward the close of the Passover meal. It is also, I think, evident that Judas has already left. He certainly is not mentioned again as being in this gathering at this time. We're told that Jesus took bread. It had to be unleavened bread, as that was the only kind of bread used in the Passover meal. He blessed it, and he broke it. If we are to follow the example of the Lord as he commanded, we too will use only unleavened bread, which will be blessed and distributed. Blessed being in the sense of giving thanks, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. This bread was representative of his body, not his actual flesh. To view these words literally is to miss the point. As he spoke to them, the Lord's body had not yet been given, nor had his blood been shed. I believe John chapter 6 verse 63 helps us to understand this important truth. 
Anyhow, after the supper, Jesus also took the cup. Luke distinguishes it between the cup taken during the meal and the cup taken after it. The first cup obviously belonged to the Passover meal, the latter to the institution of the Lord's Supper. The fact that Jesus said of that first cup in Luke, which would probably have been the last of four cups passed during the Passover meal, that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. That does not mean that he did not partake of the cup of communion with them in a few moments when the Lord's Supper was instituted. It means that after that night, he would not partake of the Lord's or the Passover cup, but to share with them the institution of this great memorial feast. You know, uh, pertaining to the cup, which he says, the blood, he says in verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now that tells me that uh, when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, we are, in addition to just thinking of uh, Christ's death, uh, it's not just a, um, a memorial in that sense. It is that, but it is also an acknowledgement of the covenant promises that Jesus has made to us. To, to speak of the blood of the covenant, I mean, we, we need only read Hebrews to read what all that covenant has uh, consists of and, uh, and understand that Jesus has made a contractual agreement with us, a promise. And so Jesus accomplished that uh, on the cross when he gave his, his life for our sins. Yeah, I think right up to that, uh, in addition to the, that thought is verse 26 from 1 Corinthians 11, is that when we eat this bread, when we drink this cup, drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's also um, a proclamation of, of, of this and what we are saying and, and our belief, our unison with with our brethren and with um, the, the Lord and his death. And also, we didn't read these verses of First Corinthians, but the importance of doing so and of partaking it in a worthy manner and that the danger of not doing so is being guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Um, and what we are to do in verse 28, to examine ourselves in doing so, to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And it continues to make sure that we have the respect for uh, when we are observing the Lord's Supper and doing so in a manner that is um, pleasing. And also to be thinking about these events, this, is, this isn't laid out in Scripture, but to the crucifixion and all of these events should be something we just think about once a week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. This should be something that is on our minds. This is what has saved our souls, what Jesus has done, dying on the cross, rising on the third day. All of it is so crucial and important, and we need to make sure that that's not just something that is a once-a-week um, kind of thought, but something that is about our lives, that controls our lives, that shapes our lives, and how we are going to act. I think it's important that we focus a little bit on the blood Jesus called it the blood of, my, of the new covenant. It was the practice of Eastern people to use blood in making any pact or covenant. Jesus presented himself as the victim from whom the blood was to be taken to ratify or seal the new covenant. And he made the contents of the cup the symbol of that blood. 
You know, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 22, shows us how the shedding of blood was necessary even in the sealing of the Old Covenant, and how the death of the testator was necessary for a will to be in force or for a testament to be in force. This blood was for the forgiveness of sins. That was the purpose of the Lord's death. That was the purpose of the Lord's blood. It was to make forgiveness of sins possible, including those that had already taken place under the first covenant. When Jesus offered his blood on the cross, which we will get to in just a little bit, he was offering his blood for the forgiveness of sins those that had already been committed and those that would yet be committed and uh, when an individual responds in obedience to the gospel call. Paul gave us these words of Jesus, This do in remembrance of me, and this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The practice of the church in the first century under the guidance of the inspired apostles was to partake of the Lord's Supper each and every first day of the week, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. If we wish to walk in the same steps of the first century Christians, it is our responsibility as well. I think an interesting uh, aspect of it is, is, you know, Jesus, again, is is still speaking of events that have yet to happen. Um, Speaking of the, the body being this bread and the the blood that's going to be poured out, and, and when when he's speaking of this, we we know. I mean, this hasn't happened yet. Um, and I, I again just amazed throughout all of this of his knowledge of what is coming, and still making sure all of it is done correctly, is laid out for us to observe as as we do every first day of the week, and just making sure it is done perfectly. Um, I think it's just always something worthy of note. There is a verse in Hebrews 13.20 that I think, uh, well, is uh, connected to this thought. Hebrews 13.20 teaches us that it is by the shedding of Christ's blood that he truly has made himself the great shepherd of the sheep. Listen to it. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. So there Jesus is described as the great shepherd of the sheep through his blood, and God is the one who raised him from the dead. Okay, the next thing that we're going to be looking at is, I believe just some of the most beautiful teaching that we find anywhere in any genre of literature. We're going to be looking at Jesus' farewell discourse that he gives to his apostles. It's found in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. But we're going to focus right away on John chapter 14, and we'll look first of all at verses 1 through 22. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 22. I'll go ahead and read that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who keeps my commandment and obeys them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You think about what's going on here. It has been an extremely difficult week, a week full of conflict and drama. And Jesus had just revealed that one of his apostles was going to dis- to betray him. He had told them that his death was near. I try to place myself in their shoes. Their minds must have been reeling with all sorts of anxiety, emotion, and fears. And then Jesus gave them words of comfort and beauty that have supported and calmed the fears of believers from now until then. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I find that to be an incredible statement. It is true because he told them that it was true. He tells them to have faith, believe in God, and believe in him. 
That's still the remedy for hearts that are troubled. Jesus used the figure of the large house filled with rooms that are available for all guests. It has the idea behind it of a permanent residence. If all was ending and his death was going to be the culmination, then Jesus would have told them. However, that was not the case. Jesus was going to prepare a place for them, a place of permanent resonance in the Father's house. He had told them that he was leaving, that he would die. Now the reason becomes clear. He was going to die that he might come again to take them back with him. Obviously, the reference is to the second coming. The way into the Father's presence is through fellowship with Jesus and his suffering and death. Obviously, the apostles did not understand. They did not understand yet Jesus' destination. How then could they possibly understand the way there? Then came the startling reply. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That hasn't changed. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. There is no other way. That implies belief in, obedience to, and imitation of the Lord. Not only does Jesus show us the way, he is the way. Jesus also stated that he is the truth. This is the case in that Jesus originated truth, that he is the source of all truth, and that through him truth was communicated. Indeed, Jesus is truth personified. And of course, he is the life. Jesus is not only the source of life and the way to spiritual life, he is life itself. If they had known and understood these things, then they would have known and understood his teaching. Very soon in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, they would come to know. If I'm one of the disciples of Jesus, I'm already feeling like his being there among them was too good to be true. I mean, I I, I can imagine that I would wake up just thinking I'm going to wake up and and life is going to be back to normal because the fact that there is a Jesus that he has the power of God and he is God it's like I can't even believe this is true and my one great concern would probably be Thomas's as well here Jesus is saying you know there is a time coming where I'm going to be gone and my great concern is I'm never we're never going to get him back you know we're we're never going to have what we had and life is just going to return to normal and what if we can't be reconnected? What if, you know, what if you're gone and then you're just gone and there's no more, there's no more access? And so I'd be probably worried about the same thing. But this thing that has been too good to be true uh, will just be inaccessible anymore. And he says, no, you know the way. There is no permanent separation here going to take place. I am the way. And when I leave, I will not have forgotten about you. And there is a way for you to come where I am. And so the way to continue what is too good to be true, this relationship that we have, is by feeding on my life, my my words, which are truth. Following me, you'll find that when you close your eyes for the last time, 
we are very much still in in fellowship with one another. Yeah, absolutely. He's the the only way to heaven, the only way to the, the Father, um, as as he says. Um, also, um, sticks out to me, verse fourteen, um, thirteen and fourteen, talking about if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Um, it's important to not take those verses and and neglect the other verses of the Bible. First um, John chapter five, verse fourteen talks about this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So it's important to keep that in mind. It's not just that if I ask anything in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. Like it's uh, almost like a genie. That's not what it is like at all. It's it, God's will is still a crucial part of it all. Um, so we need to make sure that we aren't taking those verses out of context ourselves or that if there are those that run that make you try and take those verses and use them in a way without using the whole scriptures um, that we are prepared uh, in, in, in that event. Further evidence of the Lord's union with the Father would be the sending of the Holy Spirit. Since, however, the world could neither receive nor understand the Spirit, the promise to send him to the apostles is prefaced by the exhortation, keep my commandments. One who would not obey would not receive the Spirit. You know, on the very next day, Jesus was going to be crucified. And in a very short period of time, he would leave this earth for good, only to return to take the church home. But he was not going to leave his children comfortless. I believe Jesus promised to come to you in verse 18, having reference to his coming through the Spirit. We'll see later in John 16, verses 13 through 14, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. On the day referred to as that day in verse 20, when the Spirit came, which was the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, then they would know without question the absolute union of Jesus and his Father, and they would know the true union of Jesus and those who are his through obedience to the commands. Verse 21 is particularly interesting. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's go ahead and read the remainder of that passage. John chapter 14, verses 23 through 31. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, 
you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, then when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Just just because Jesus is going to be um, exiting their lives in a physical sense does not mean that he has neglected them or not being with them. We see that there's still going to be care and guidance for them as there is for us. And the, the beautiful verse in verse 27 of the peace that I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. That Christ is is there, um, still there's is still involved in their lives, involved in our lives, and wonderful peace that he has given us. And there's a the difference between peace in the world and peace from from Christ. And it's an uh, important thing to try and make sure we study that out and distinguish between those two, um, because. There is a great significance and, and um, importance between the two that we need to make sure we have noted. Yeah, of course, the promise of the Spirit includes the blessing of verse 26, which is that he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You know, they, they could have perhaps worried that, well, you know, I have a bad memory. What if we What if we don't remember what he said or how he said it or just what exactly he taught on this or that doctrine? So this is a promise that the Spirit would be there to miraculously provide all of these things, guiding them into all all truth. And so when they when they teach and they write in in the future, we're going to read their writings and epistles and things like that. We need to understand that they were not writing as men who had, to the best of their recollections, written what they wrote, but that they were guided by the Spirit and that the things that they wrote were all truth, everything that Jesus intended for them to say. You know, he makes it clear that there were going to be many trials, many tribulations, much suffering that was going to come their way, not only in their immediate future, but in their lives of service to Jesus. But through obedience to his commandments and his abiding presence, they would have peace. It's not peace like the world offers, a peace that depends upon the outward circumstances. It is a peace from within, a peace that does not depend on what is happening around us. That's going to have to do it for today's program. We appreciate each and every one of you who is listening. Contact us at our website, www.nkcfc.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.